It's not the smartest or the strongest who survive. It's the most adaptable. So in the, wor in the world of evolution, it's not going to be the smartest people who always make it. It's not going to be just the PhDs. It's going to be the people who can test quickly and then adapt quickly. You read a book a day. Yes. What's your, what's your favorite book? And then what book would you recommend to an entrepreneur who wants to learn more about his craft and kind of build it? So I have, this is a good question. There's a good book um, actually from a USC guy. It's called, what's it called? Disrupt You. It's not Disrupt Yourself, Zach. Zach is adding title to it. A good book is Disrupt You by um, Jay Samet. He's a professor at USC. He, yeah, he was, I was, he's had like a billion dollar, uh, no, he raised like $2 billion. I don't know. He's a smart guy and has a badass book. So try that book, Disrupt You. It Disrupt talks about you. all the disruption that's happening. Like for example, Instagram was a company <laughs> that in three years from basically 2009 to 2012, eliminated um, the biggest film company in the world, Kodak, which was 100 years old. They just eliminated them. They disrupted the whole market and put the number one company out of business. So it's gonna happen like, I wouldn't be surprised in 20 years if one of the biggest brands you know, or even less than 20 years, disappears. It might be McDonald's, it might be Chipotle. Chipotle seems to be killing themselves right now. Avon, um, what's another company? What's a company my that's just dying right now? Kodak. So well, Kodak's sad. dead. Yeah. They, 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 they're, <laughs> Kodak no longer exists. Um, oh, I know. The SoundCloud. Uh, what's the? Yeah, SoundCloud. SoundCloud's about to go bankrupt. Oh, American Apparel. American Apparel was doing six, $600 million in sales and then went to basically, they're not at zero, but their shares were worth less than zero. I mean, it was a negative company. They were $500 million in debt. So American Apparel's gone. You got, yeah, True Religion's gone. They, they predict that 100 brands will be bankrupt in the next year. Yeah, Wet Seal, also the, um, the there was another one. Uh, what's the one with the Sophia Amorosa? Nasty Gal. That was like, she wrote a book on like, they made a TV show on how great of an entrepreneur she was and then it went bankrupt which it's fine that's not making fun of people sometimes sometimes what bailey shoot yeah pay less oh how about isn't jc penny's about to go bankrupt sears sears jc penny they're gone so the world's gonna change so quickly what that book talks about is how you can be one of the people that goes in and takes advantage of that disruption and makes the money doesn't have to be somebody else Sports Authority, are they gone? Sports Authority, gone. Sports Chalet, gone. Oh, how about, um, what's the, not Barnes & Noble, the other bookstore that's gone? Borders, Borders yeah, is gone. Disappeared. Borders is done. It's, it's, CBS is still around. Rite Aid, somebody got purchased, yeah. Yeah, so read that book, try that book, it's a good one. So, some companies are dying. So how do you see like social media evolve 
are evolving? What do you see for social media? Radio, how do you Radio Shack and Blockbuster. That's oh like, yeah, those things. So how do you adapt when everything's dying? You remember this one saying, it's not the smartest or the strongest who survive. It's the most adaptable. So in the, wor in the world of evolution, not even talking about biological evolution, but evolution of making money, um, it's not going to be the smartest people who always make it. It's not going to be just the PhDs. It's going to be the people who can test quickly and then adapt quickly. So some of you, and one of the skills that I always want to have in my brain is, I launch a business, it ain't doing that well, don't be afraid to shut it down. It's better to kill it early than drag it out for five freaking years of a subpar business. So it's the same with dating. If you want to get, you're 16, so you're I'm not 16. trying to get married yet. <laughs> but I mean, if you're trying to get a girlfriend and you just go, all right, the first girl that I see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date long term, you're probably making a mistake. The whole idea of a date is to test. So a lot of you have business ideas that you're treating like you're married to them already. Date them first. Date them first. Because Armin is here. He, he works with me. He's single. How many dates have you gone on in the last one year? This year in Los Angeles. Just guess. 20 dates. How many of those have been the women, turned out to be the women of your dreams? Zero. So he's 20 for O. So a lot of people go, okay, I got a business idea that I'm so excited about, Ty. I'm gonna, I, I told you yesterday about this guy who came to my house who had invested $1 million into his app. And he had never seen first if anybody wanted that app. So guess what happens? He lost his whole life savings. He was 60 years old, invested, saved a million dollars, lost every freaking penny because I would have told him, don't build a million dollar app to start with. First, build a simple lead pages website. See if you can pre-sell any. If you can't pre-sell somebody, and I talked about this last night, but if you weren't on, pre-sell is your friend. One thing I like about Indiegogo, one thing I like about... Um, uh, Kickstarter? Kickstarter, there's... What's the other one? There's... GoFundMe? Like five, yeah. yeah like is that you can pre-sell it before. Think of LeVar Ball, big baller brands, triple B. Some plays of the Lakers, right? What did they do? Make five million before five shoes millions of out. shoes that are not going to ship until November. That's called a prototype. So, so for me, it's all about like dating it, prototyping it, and then not being attached to it. You got to be like Bruce Lee said: be like water. Water adapts. Water doesn't get in love with the glass. If it's in a glass that's like this, it takes that shape. If it's a tall glass, the water gets tall. If the world gets in recession, then you learn how to adapt and, and thrive in recession. If it's expanding like it is now, you expand with it. So, yes. Long answer. Yes. <laughs>Humans learn by absorption. Like a lot of people are trying to learn the wrong way. You don't learn by uh, anything except really osmosis. Just think about animals. Animals don't talk. There's no teaching, but they learn the things that they need to know, and it's not all instinct. You might think it's all instinct. It's not all instinct. Animals learn things. They've already, I read a scientific study that shows different killer whales, for example, no things that other killer whales don't know because if they live closer to a certain island, they learn how to hunt from their parents 
in that island or from other in the pod. And that's the same with people. One of the problems with the school system is that it's, you can't purely lecture people. Lectures can be part of it, but it's not as good as by example. They say humans learn you know, audio, visual, kinesthetic, but there's even a fourth one, which I think are, is osmosis. You absorb like a cell. So there you go. Depending on what you do, things become obs- knowledge becomes very obsolete. So he said, like for a medical doctor, they have to complete now because the technology's coming so quickly. He said, if you go to a doctor that just says, well, when I was 18 and 22, I went to undergrad, and then for another seven years, I went to medical school back in the 70s. You want to be going to a doctor that's using 1970s techniques? No. So what life now becomes is continual education because things, they, he says in this book, Stephen Johnson says, everything you know roughly becomes obsolete at the rate of 10 to 20% a year. And Warren Buffett, third richest man in the world, said the same thing. He said what he knew in 1967 wouldn't have made him money in 68. What, made, what he knew in 1999 doesn't help him make money now. Sure, some of the wisdom and the gut feeling and intuition, but the technical stuff, it just changes like that. So when it comes to learning from one of my online classes, learning from university, a better way to think about it, I'd rather, I'll tell you this. This is my, I'll throw this out to you as a professor. What world would you rather live in? One where everybody from 18 to 22 goes four years to college, then stops. It's a fact that most people don't read books after that. They're burnt out from education. Or one where everybody in America or everyone in your country takes one college class a semester for their whole life. Where you're just continually learning. Now, there could be a period when you're younger. When I was younger, probably when you're, I mean, you're young, <laughs> you're, gonna acute, you're gonna accelerate learning. So you, could, you have less responsibilities, you don't have as many kids, you can learn more. So you can take you know, 10 classes or something. But the principle is, if I had a choice between cramming all my education in in my early 20s, when most people are still dipshits, I mean, let's be honest, go to the average uh, college campus, your brain's not even done forming until you're about 25. So there are things, I'd rather live in a world where people took 15 years to get their undergrad degree. You could still go out and be an apprentice, you could still start. Certain occupations this wouldn't work for, like heart surgeon. You don't want a heart surgeon that's learning very slowly and you're with him on year seven and you die because he didn't know what you're doing. But most things, especially for business, this works very well. So that's my somewhat controversial opinion. (laughs) You want to hear a little side note before you say that. Um, Alibaba started by a guy named Jack Ma. Jack Ma was a school teacher he was making 20 cents an hour in China. 20 cents an hour. He was making a, around 20 bucks a month. Uh, and now he is worth around $30 billion. Wow. So if you want to know rags to riches stories, if they still exist, wow. going from 20 bucks a month. And if, you, if he's worth $30 billion, roughly, he could pay himself about $1 billion a year just in dividends without ever touching his main you know, 30 billion. 
So if you're making a billion dollars a year on just even actually more, let's say 1.5 billion, that's roughly a uh, hundred. He's paying himself about a hundred million bucks a month divided by 30. So how would you like to be getting paid $3 million a day? That's what he could pay himself and never touch his principal. Jack Ma is very wealthy. He created Alibaba, which is kind of like eBay, Amazon of China. One of the things you learn in finance, I used to be own a wealth management company. I was a CFP. I worked for GE Capital, biggest company in the world in finance. One of the things that you, people forget, and the average person doesn't know what I'm talking about, so I'm explaining this. It's called risk adjusted return. So, you brought up a perfect example. Your risk. Let's say you buy right now. If you want to buy a Starbucks, I mean, uh, sorry, a Subway franchise, it costs between two and three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, that's what you have to pay minimum. Okay, now you're up and going. So you have the risk of having to take a quarter million dollars, either borrow it or take it from your savings and put it in. Now, you might discover after one year, you hate Subway. You hate having to be there. You know, it's hard to hire good help. You can hire help for minimum wage or a little above, but they steal money from the cash register and this and they quit and all that and they do drugs. And so you end up being in the store half of the time. So, yes, let's say you make 50 grand or 100 grand a year. You have to factor in how much risk you took. You had to put up 250 grand to and sign a contract with Subway. Now, when you think about Amazon, even if you make less money from selling your garlic press or selling your pet supplies or your household stuff, how much money did you have in it? How much risk did you have on day one? Mike here is saying between 500 and 1500 bucks is all you're risking. So let's say it doesn't work out for you. Now you can just move on to the next thing. The average millionaire has to move on at least to three different businesses to become a billionaire. If you look at the man who started uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Colonel Sanders, he started, he has the longest list of businesses I've ever seen. He dropped out of school at 12 years old. He became a billionaire at 65. He started Kentucky Fried Chicken at 65. So he spent about 50 years trying to start businesses. Um, if you look at Ray A. Kroc, who started McDonald's, same thing. Started multiple, Mark Cuban was over at my house and you know the billionaire and he told me his first business was selling garbage bags door to door. He didn't make much money in that. So the, the idea is how can I test different things? How can I launch different businesses and not have that much risk in them? You know, so the beauty of Amazon and what we're talking about today is you can get in, you can test the garlic press idea and worst case scenario, there's not one person here that's going to commit suicide if they lose 1500 bucks. I mean, you might be sad if you lose $1,500, but if you put in $250 into a subway and you lose that, people commit suicide over 250 grand. But trust me, people don't commit suicide over 1500 bucks. Now, I'm not, hopefully no one here is going to commit suicide over every amount of money. I'm just giving the emotional side of things that you have to factor in because we humans are very emotional. Mm -hmm. Human, yeah. I like that. That is when McKenna chose. By the way, McKenna is very emotional. She's and a Scorpio. I feel that's okay sometimes. That's it is right. okay. As long as you know how to, you know, handle your own emotions, and you're okay. If you recognize that you are an emotional person, that's the first step to being sane.
That's the first step is realizing you're insane, McKenna? No. Too beansy. You got to handle yourself. What's We're the... All... <laughs> what? <laughs> McKenna, um, I read a, a report that just came out. Mm. Psychology. It was like Psychology Today or one of these big ones. Mm-hmm. And it says um, 25% of women are clinically have psychological problems. Um, and well. 15% of men. So I don't know why. I don't know if that's true. It's a huge study. You can Google it. Now, I saw somebody tweet about it, and they said, so 25% of women admitted they have mental problems. That means 75% of women are lying. So uh, anyway. That's, <laughs> I would send a telepathic slap to that human, but it's okay. You would slap? You would troll him on Twitter? Telepathic. I don't know if that's true, I but um, I don't think 100% of women oh. or men are crazy. No. But I, I bet you 25% of men and women at the minimum are crazy. And part of the reason, going back to this Amazon thing, if you're too emotional, if you don't have the ability to use logic, here's what happens. Somebody will present an opportunity to you like this Amazon one, and you'll be like too emotional about it. You'll be like massive fear will spring up in your head and you go, oh my God, what if I fail? What if I fail? What what if people laugh at me? You can't do that. You You have to compartmentalize when you're doing something like this. Good. Can I bring that up next time you're emotional? Can I say compartmentalize? Oh my God. Yeah, go for it. I don't think that's going to work. If somebody's being emotional and you tell them to be logical, that's the number one way to make (laughs) them more emotional. No. Yes, that is. I know you. Reality checks work for me. No, I've tried to reality (laughs) check you before. Dr. David Buss just put out his new textbook on psychology, uh, personality types. And there's 11 ways humans manipulate each other. And basically, uh, there's also another set of science which shows there's 25 cognitive biases. But there's another 11 that scientists find. So now there's about 30, 36 ways that we get manipulated. And when you look at marketing, okay, so what, for all of you going to be selling... You need to learn to be ethically persuasive without being manipulative because it's a very fine line because to me, sometimes Coca-Cola is manipulative or I'll give you an example. McDonald's is manipulative. I saw this commercial where it's like LeBron James eating McDonald's and I'm like, and he it was an Olympic one or something. And I'm like, do you think... That's how Olympic athletes eat, honestly, McDonald's. Because I can tell you, I know a lot of pro basketball players. These dudes, like Chris Paul is a good friend of mine. The, Chris Paul, I was at his house. He got a chef in there. He does food allergy tests and tests for supplementing. So McDonald's is being a little bit manipulative by going like, oh, yeah, eat McDonald's and you'll become a shredded six-pack LeBron James and you'll play an Olympic. When the truth is, you, you basically fall over and die. You know, So I had lunch with Morgan Spurlock uh, about two months ago. He's the guy who... Did you ever see the movie, Mom, um, Supersize Me, mm-hmm. where the guy just eats McDonald's for 30 days straight? Yeah. So he's a Scorpio, by the way, like you. Okay. And so I had lunch with him and his son, me and Zach did. Um, what was that place we went to, Adrian? Went to this famous deli in New York City. They served. I like Adrian remembers it at the as the pastrami place because Adrian loves food. I call him the most attentive man in the world when it comes to food. I'm disappointed you can't remember. Cat. What's it called? 
Cat's Deli. So we go in there and I'm talking to um I'm talking to Morgan Spurlock and I said, Did you do you have any long term health effects from eating McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, dinner, thirty days straight? He goes, Yes, I still gain fat uh from that because what happens is, you know, fat has a lot of stem cells and fat creates more fat. So anyway, so my point being with marketing, try to not be like McDonald's, which is manipulative. That's a, that's a manipulative. My mom doesn't like McDonald's, but you have to be persuasive. So things that will make you persuasive on Amazon, for example, is how you say it. You know, you could say garlic press and just be boring about it. Or you could say something. I'll give you a little hint. One of the most, uh, a guy named Frank Lutz, who's a political campaign expert, he said the most persuasive and emotion uh, evoking word in the human language, in the English language, sorry, in America specifically, is imagine. So you could start your Amazon listing saying, imagine, you know, you're cooking a beautiful Italian meal for your family. And you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. You want to use garlic and you are press, which perfectly grinds it out. So that's not being manipulative to use the word imagine. It's being persuasive. And so you have to understand psychology. Those of you who follow me know that I talk a lot about psychology and, you know, it's a fine line. You might not all, you might get a little too aggressive sometimes, but if you keep in mind this, that's going to help you sell on Amazon. Don't be unethical. Don't say the world's best garlic press if you can't prove that. But if you can prove it. Your description is, is means a lot when you're selling something. Yeah. So the psychology and uh, the psychology of selling on Amazon is almost as big as the logistics of selling on Amazon. Because you can hire, you can get a business partner that's nerdy who can handle all the Chinese fulfillment and this and that, and you can just be the expert on psychology. And I've learned, you know, people are like, Ty, what are you good at in business and that? Well, one of the things I learned, my first mentor, Joel Salton, was a master of marketing, and he's very ethical in how he does it, but he's also very persuasive. The more potential you can make, because like some people have gotten rich off Bitcoin. They've bought it when it was under a hundred bucks and now it's, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 X that. But what comes up must come down. And we saw a little hint of that the other day with China banning Bitcoin um, ICOs and things like this. And all of a sudden Bitcoin dropped 11% in one day. Now, remember what 11% drop, the higher the price is, the more dollar amount. So if it's at $3,000 or $4,000 and you lose 11%, that's 400 bucks per unit loss. So what happens is people lose track of this. There's a good movie out now called The Tulip Wars with uh, who I think is the prettiest girl in um, Hollywood, Alicia Vicklander. She is a damn pretty girl, by the way. Um, she's Swedish. She looks Spanish, though. But that movie, The Tulip Wars, is about 300 years ago. Same thing happened as Bitcoin. People were bidding up the price of tulips, and people were becoming millionaires overnight, but they forgot what goes up must come down. And so one of the things that we're talking about today is how to start something that doesn't sound... You're not going to go to your friends and be like, 
ooh, I got rich selling garlic presses. I made an extra $1,000 this month. But it starts to add up. You make a thousand bucks here, a thousand bucks. Warren Buffett has seven, the second richest man in the world. He has 75 different sources of income. He owned, now he's, of course, a big league guy. So he has seven, you know, he has a lot. The guy who just bought the Houston uh, Rockets just were sold for $2.2 billion. A guy bought it um, who owns restaurants and he has hundreds of units. He owns all the Bubba Gump shrimp. Uh, he owns, I forget the name of these restaurants. There are a lot of them are the ones in the South, but Bubba Gump we have here in, in California. So he's diversified. Each restaurant doesn't make him that much money. I would guess the average restaurant for that guy is making him a net of, let's say 50 to $200,000. Tillman Fertitta is her name, uh, his name for Lita or something like that. He sounds, it sounds like kind of like a drink at coffee, uh, I mean, at Starbucks, a Fertitta, but, um, He's diversified, so it's there's nothing wrong with selling garlic presses. And then if you figure out the garlic press, you can sell a coffee grinder, and because it, it's kind of a similar. And you just keep going. And the next thing, there's people. What's the most any of your students, the most products any of your students you've seen them sell? Uh, most song. are so in the first six months. You, you want to try and target to get to about four or five products. I mean, yep. six months from the date your your very first product gets on Amazon. To me, it's kind of like this. Once you can get to between 10 and 20 sales a day, yeah. now you should start looking at the next product. Because that might seem like, wow, that's a lot. But, you know, I've seen people 70, 80, 90 sales in a day without much time selling on Amazon. So you want to – once you can – master a product, meaning to me, like just 10 sales a day, you should start saying, okay, I need to do this again because it's easier to go from zero to 10 than, yeah. 10, to, than 10 to 20, right? It's easier yes. to get that initial push. The incremental. So then you, so some of your students you're saying in a year might have five to 10 different products they're selling. That's right. Sure. Yeah. Especially, you know, because when a lot of people are this way, and I'm, I'm kind of that way too, when you can kind of taste it and feel a little success, right. that pumps you up to do even more. Because yeah. now it feels real to you. I mean, I can make all kinds of videos showing you examples of everyone else kicking butt. But once you start kicking butt, yes. that's more inspiration than me showing you, you know, 100 other people that are kicking butt. You yes. need to, yeah. once you start kicking butt, now that's your fire. That's your, you know, we have families, we want to be supportive. You know, we want to be able to take those vacations, not have to work our fingers to the bone. And once you could kind of once it's tangible and once you could feel that, that's where the power and that's where the mindset really kicks into gear, knowing that this isn't just theory and all these other people kicking butt. Some people make excuses. They say, well, they got lucky. Well, did they all get lucky and you just got unlucky or are they taking action right. and they're all in and you're half in? And they have a then they have a combination. That the reason I'm doing this, you know, episode with you is because this is a strategy episode, and you need two things. You need to be able to execute, but you also need a strategy first. And some people just think they're going to get rich, or become independently, you know, financially independent just by working hard. And that's not true because if you have a bad strategy and you work hard at it, all you'll get is a lot of work and a lot of hours, and you'll work three jobs, and you'll hardly be able to make ends meet. So. You have to incorporate first strong strategy. Every army general, what is every army general? If you study the great generals throughout history, whether it's Clausewitz or, uh, you know, modern day people, 
uh, if you look at one of the most interesting, one of the most famous is Clausewitz. He was late 1800s uh, German. Um, he wrote these books similar to The Art of War, which was a Chinese book written thousands of years ago by Sun Tzu. But Clausewitz basically had these rules of engagement. And some of them are famous, like, you know, all strategy falls apart the second you start in battle, which is kind of like what Mike Tyson said. Everybody has a plan till I punch him in the face. And um, we saw that with Conor. But but you still need a strategy. You see, Conor McGregor just fought Floyd Mayweather. And what happened, obviously, Conor McGregor did amazingly well for his first professional boxing. But the strategy of Floyd Mayweather was stronger. And he executed. So some of you, the reason, you know, I say listen to this podcast, this episode, or live stream, or buy programs. Sometimes people go, well, Ty, you're just telling people to buy programs because you make money. Well, I'm I'm talking about his program, and I don't make any money. We haven't even talked about an affiliate deal. So if you buy AmazonSecrets.net, his course, I don't make any money. But I still want to talk about it um, because I want people to learn, and sometimes you get what you pay for. You know, a lot of people... Uh, paid zero dollars for their public school education and they don't know shit so yeah, there you go <laughs> sometimes you get what you pay for you know going to harvard is a lot better than going to community college unfortunately most people can't go to harvard but it'd be better if you could because going to harvard pretty much guarantees you gonna make plenty of money in life just having the harvard name you get what you pay for so sometimes people i think about 50 percent of people see this incorrectly because they either go, I got to work harder. My mom told me, my dad told me, work hard and everything will work out. Well, that's like saying to an army general, just send all your troops into battle with zero plan. Just be like, there's the enemy, run. And that happened. You know, the greatest conqueror of all time, the greatest general, if you look statistics in terms of ratios, was a guy named Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan was a Mongolian warlord, and he was so effective that to this day, some of the cities that he conquered have never been revived. He would salt the fields. He would burn it. He would take all the men. He would put them under his tent and eat on top, put his tables on top of them, eat them till every man suffocated to death. Then he would take all their wives, sleep with them, have children, and that's why uh, about 1% of the world, he's their grandfather. So he was a very effective general. Now, he wasn't a nice guy. He was a psychopath, probably, if there was modern psychology. But he had a very sophisticated but simple strategy. You know what he would do? He had these little horses, and he would take his men, and they would go on the little horses, and he would go up against big armies. And these big armies would have all their troops come to the front line, and Genghis Khan would just fly in, shoot them with arrows, and then leave. So he couldn't kill them. The Native Americans did the same thing. The Cheyenne, the Comanches, the Sioux Indians. They pissed the Native American army, I mean, the American army off. In fact, the Apache Indians in the about 1870s were so good of warriors that the final ratio was the average Apache. To catch the last 30 Apache men, it took the ratio of about uh, one Apache took 10,000 U.S. troops to catch her, catch them. It, it, uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, one, sorry, it was one to a thousand. Sorry, but a one to a thousand took a thousand soldiers to, and why? Because the Apaches had superior 
strategy. And so when it comes to business and it comes to Amazon, you can't just go out there and start posting all over Amazon products and not know what you're doing. And a lot of people don't know what they're doing. And so I always like, I go on these calls because I learn. People are like, why do you do a podcast? Why do you do, you know, now I just, I think I'm going to be up on Spotify. I just got approved on Spotify. So it's like, why do I do these free calls? Because I'm learning right here with you. And so it's important that you think things through strategically as if you're the general of your own bank account. And like you said, people go, well, there's more, the wealthier are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer. And there's some truth to that. But you got, I'll give the counter argument. There's more opportunity for the poor to no longer be poor. Because for example, even if you don't have any money, if you can talk somebody into partnering with you and giving you $2,000 or $1,000 so that you can order your first, you know, set of products on Amazon and start selling, you know, now you got the potential to make more money than you have at a crappy government job or whatever, you know, you don't like you're doing now. So keep your head up. If things aren't going well, you can't wish them better. It's going to be strategy and then executing and then strategy and executing. And when you get punched in the face, like Mike Tyson says on the first you're, you do you have your strategy. Okay, I'm going to sell a garlic press. You go out, you spend a thousand bucks. It doesn't work out. Well, guess what? You can still stay in the fight. You just change your strategy. You go, oop. All right, I'm not going to sell garlic press. I'm going to start. I'm going to sell a pet product. And I promise you, this one thing. I can't promise you that you'll be successful. I can't guarantee anything because I can't even guarantee we'll be alive tomorrow. North Korea might take us all out here by the looks of things, right? Oh, but I could. Does that make you feel good, oh, no. McKenna? It's so frustrating. But I have McKenna by my side who has the powers of the Force from Star Wars with us, and she will create an orb of um, yes. of protection yes. around me. That's actually Sparkling why protection. That's why I'm keeping you around me, <laughs> because just in case that, that North Korea comes. You'll need my Star Wars powers. Your Star Wars. Yeah. You can just be like, you can say to, uh, what's, what did he, what does Darth Vader used to say I'm to people? Father. No, not I'm your father. Are you my father? I'm not, but <laughs> No, what what he used to say is like you will open the door whatever like that. So maybe you can go to Kim Jong Un. Somebody said, "Ty, that's not funny joking about World War 3." Hey, sometimes I... when things get out of your control, best thing you can do is joke about it. Lighten up, baby. Lighten up. Come on. Yeah. I love when people are so serious. You know one thing in this world now, people like they want to be the one person who says that phrase. That's like a, literally about 30% yeah. of the planet's goal. I want to find conversations by people, and then I want to be the person to sound very mature and go, Reality that's check. not funny. That's yes, it is, bitch. That's why I said <laughs> it. Don't tell me that. So let me ask you this. In your opinion... Veganism, thumbs up or thumbs down? You asking me that? Your opinion, Ben Greenfield. My opinion on veganism is a little bit complex, but it starts with this. It depends on you. And I know it's an annoying way to respond, but it depends on a, on, on a few factors. Let's say, for example, let's take ketosis, right? Everybody's mm -hmm. into ketosis a lot these days. This whole They're like high-fat diet where you're drinking coconut oil and butter and eating you know fatty beef and you know shoving coconut manna and olives and olive oil into your into your mouth and 
the idea is that there's a certain portion of the population that has what's called familial hypercholesteremia. When they consume those kind of fats, they get very, very high cholesterol. And high cholesterol isn't bad, but in this case, they get high levels of oxidized cholesterol, very small particles that tend to weasel their way into your vascular walls and create things like arteriosclerosis. And for these people, doing something like a high-fat or a meat-rich diet is not such a great idea. They do really, really well on a high-fiber, more veganistic diet, what we would, we would call a Katavan diet, like an islander-based diet with a lot of fiber and small amounts of fish, but, but really not this whole like meat and eggs and oil approach. So that's one population for which veganism would be a decent choice as far as a diet goes. There are some holes that you need to fill in, which I'll get to in a moment. Now, let me interrupt you for one second. Go ahead. So basically, the idea is that in the past, Mm -hmm. diets have been very blanket. Like, So the U.S. government has come out with blanket nutritional advice. Everybody should basically get two pieces of fruit, two pieces of this, bread at the bottom. You know, they have the food triangle. Now, in the modern world, you get even more opinions. You got vegans, you got vegetarians, you have pescatarians, you have fruititarians, you have people that are going for the zone diet. I mean, there's everything. But what you're saying is, and this is kind of my opinion, the future is going to be customized diet. The future is self-quantification. What would it cost you thousands and thousands of dollars at the freaking Princeton Longevity Institute a decade ago? You can now get for, I mean, almost pennies on the dollar, right? A 23andMe genetic test or a blood test that would have been $10,000 you can get for like 400 bucks now. You can find out not only what your genes are, not only where your ancestors came from and what they would have eaten, but also holes in your blood or your urine or your saliva, meaning you know low vitamin D or low vitamin K or thyroid deficiencies or, or things that are all going to influence not just how you eat, but also how you supplement. And one of those things that I just alluded to would be a genetic test to find out if you tend to be a cholesterol storer. How because would you know that? Is that a DNA marker? It, yeah, yeah, it's a DNA marker. So you get like a 23andMe genetic analysis, and then there's a really cool website uh, called 23andU, 23andU.com, and you go there and you can have access to all these different websites that you can run all your genetic data through to actually get all the health stuff that a lot of times 23andMe isn't releasing to you. Yeah, they don't. They yeah. kind of got yeah. either sued or su- shut yeah. down by the yeah. Why are you not vegan? In your DNA, okay. your body, what... Is the problem for right. you? You found right. So, so there's a, there's a few other issues. First of all, uh, veganism is great if you're trying to clean house, clean up shop, right? Like, so if you've been eating a very crappy diet and you need a lot of antioxidants, a lot of flavanols, a lot of polyphenols, a lot of plant rich fibers, a lot of chlorophyll, a lot of dark leafy matter. What that does is it cleans you out. And that's why a lot of people feel like a million bucks for a month or two months or six months after they begin to consume a diet that's comprised primarily of plants and that eliminates a lot of either acidic foods or acid-producing foods like 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 meats and coffee and dairies and things along those lines or uh, the consumption of those foods in their processed, you know, Americanized format, right? Like foods with not only trans fats added to them, but vegetable oils added to them, foods that have been cooked at high temperatures, foods that have been oxidized and processed. And so once you switch to veganism, a lot of times you're just not eating those foods, so you feel a lot better. Right. Now, So it's not just the veganism, it's that you're cutting out it, junky it's food. That, so you're cutting out junky food and you're replacing it with a lot of things that fight inflammation, like coconut oil, for example, right? Coconut oil actually isn't good for you at all. There's a real dark side to coconut oil. I have an article about this on my website about how coconut oil causes inflammation. Right? Everybody thinks it's healthy for you, but in the absence of fiber, 
in the absence right. of fiber, coconut oil is bad for you. And it's that makes sense because you yeah. would find coconut oil in a coconut with all the coconut meat and the fiber. And the idea is all these people putting coconut oil into their coffee in the morning, they're in many cases not including things like kale and spinach and dark leafy greens and wild plants and all these things that you should be. Like my breakfast in the morning is I wander out into the forest behind my house and I gather nettle and wild mint and I swing by the garden and I'll get some cabbage and some kale and some bok choy and some Swiss chard cilantro, parsley, herbs, wild plants. I throw all this in a blender and I blend it up with fats, right? like coconut milk and coconut oil and stuff. So my breakfast is just like plants and so fats. So it's, like it's like a nasty shake. It tastes amazing <laughs> once you add enough stevia to it. And you, oh, so and you then, put stevia. Well, no, I blend it Natural like pudding sugar. and then I'll add like cacao nibs and some coconut flakes. So a little chocolate berries. and it's yeah, raw. Yeah, add a little, yeah, add a little bit to it. Zach? So we got Zach like over a, here. Yeah, I thought it sounded a bit like a Disney scene, a Disney cartoon going out in the forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with me. Right, yeah. right, frolicking nude through a pastoral field. So the idea. Wait, let though, me let me ask a real quick, not to interrupt your train of thought, but hold that for one second. So Zach is the third opinion here. Zach is from the South. He is representing the part of the conversation that has found real health in Bojangles, Hardee's. And moon pies. So, Zach, can you well, explain to us about the, that? The evidence, it's not so much that I think that it's better as much as I think it doesn't matter. You can still <laughs> eat that and, and live just the same because in the end, everyone dies. So that's my evidence that it doesn't matter. We're all going to die. It's not as though people have figured out eating healthy lets you live I just don't want to live the last half of my life in a wheelchair and a diaper. That's, I, Zach doesn't I mind. Be, I want to be climbing <laughs> yeah, mountains. Yeah, Zach doesn't mind uh, diapers. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have to scare me a little bit. You know what is kind of funny though about what you say is there's a lot of centenarians that we find in many of these blue zones, and many of them do yeah. drink a lot and smoke a lot, and they don't exercise. Yep. But they've got relationships and love and family. Right. Right. So so you can do a lot when you have like relationships, love, family, positive emotions, gratitude. It's pretty amazing. I got. I got. All I need is a Cajun play biscuit combo and a good yeah. woman. <laughs> right. Exactly. When I lived in North Carolina, we moved to North Carolina, and you know California is where I was before and everyone is pretty healthy and we moved to this uh to clayton north carolina which is kind of the countryside we had a lived in a mobile home and across about a mile away my my stepdad met this woman named mrs creech and we would go over Sounds there pleasant. yeah mrs creech we'd go over there she was 90 i think 99 or 96 or something and she had a little mini farm and so she every day she'd go out she'd milk her goats she had a little garden and mm. she she would Eat moon pies. If you don't know what a moon pie is, <laughs> it's that, literally man. chocolate with marshmallow. And she said she hasn't eaten a vegetable for 50 years, and she smoked. And she's like, <laughs> and, and this lady was like, but you know, she had other stuff. She's, she's in her goat milk, though. She's on her goat milk. That's what we have. We, we have uh, seven Nigerian dwarf goats now. We milk them every morning. So there is an, a, a basic... Can you melt like, me, fucker? The, what is that from? What? Uh, meet the what parents. did you just say? Meet, meet the fuckers. The oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Meet I have parents. nipples, Greg. Can I got nipples. nipples. Can, can you milk me? me? That's is, a, that's a line a, I wasn't actually asking. Ben. Is there an overall kind of diet that no matter what, like you were saying, it's going to move towards oh, being yeah. very specific, but is there kind of a generic one that no matter what, if... Yeah, I've got a thought on that. So, So... I'll return to that in just a second. What I think would be like a, a cover-all diet if you're just going to kind of like you know play the lottery and hope you pick the right diet because there is one that if you live in America would probably work pretty well for you based on most people's ancestry in America. 
But this idea of veganism, feeling really good when you get on a vegan diet, the problem is one year down the road or two years down the road or five years down the road, there are holes that will wind up. If you, if you test your blood and your biomarkers or if you test anything that's going on inside your body, there are specific nutrients that over and over again wind up missing from the diets of most people eating a plant-based diet. What are now, those? There are people that do things the right way, people who soak their food, who sprout their grains, who ferment their beans, who actually activate a lot of the nutrients that you find in foods when you do veganism would be considered the hard ray, right? right. Like it's, a lot, it's a lot easier to eat meat and drink milk to, to get a lot of these things. But if you did want to go completely animal-free, you can work in a lot of these old ancestral ways of preparing your grains and your beans and uh, your plants in ways that deactivate the plant's natural defense mechanisms. There's a great new book about this called The Plant Paradox by Stephen yeah. Gundry where he goes into how plants have these built-in natural defense mechanisms that can be deactivated when you soak and you sprout. Like tomatoes are nightshade family. They kill you. Right. Potatoes. Right, but but you can you can you can pressure cook a potato and peel it and and make it an amazing nourishing food. But a lot of people don't go out of their way to do that, right? Because it's laborious. It right. takes time. So what you tend to see is certain deficiencies creep up. DHA, incredibly important for your brain and your neural tissue. That tends to be deficient in many people eating a plant based diet unless they're consuming lots of algae. Spirulina and chlorella actually gives you that DHA, hmm. but a lot of people who are following a plant-based diet don't eat that. Another example would be taurine. Another example would be creatine. I tell everybody on a vegan or a plant-based diet to have five grams of creatine a day. Creatine you get naturally right. in cows. Right. Beef. Right. Beef, exactly. So you, don't find it. you don't find it in plants that often. Um, vitamin D and vitamin K are two fat-soluble vitamins we find in dense amounts in a lot of animal foods yeah. and animal fats, but you know, you, you can get some in mushrooms. You can get some in like a fermented soybean derivative called natto. But again, it's very difficult to hunt down some of these things. And so in many cases for a vegan, I recommend supplementing with the vitamin D, vitamin K, taurine, creatine, DHA. Another one that's notoriously deficient is amino acids. Yeah. Because again, unless you're soaking and sprouting and fermenting and getting a good mix of proteins, pea protein, hemp protein, rice protein, what happens is you tend to get amino acid deficiencies. So if you're just uh, you're there's, just there's stuck a, on one diet, right. eating certain beans all the time, you're not getting right. that. So you want to use so what what research has found is that when you combine a digestive enzyme complex with a plant based protein powder like hemp or pea or rice, you actually render that protein just as high as like a whey protein or an egg protein when it comes to amino acid bioavailability, right? So what you can do to hack your vegan diet is you can have like protein powder along with digestive enzymes with like a smoothie in the morning, for example. So there are ways that you can skirt a lot of these issues. It's just that like 90% of people who follow a vegan diet don't really do that. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and so people unless don't have you time bases, in the modern world, yeah, it's time. Most it's, people. Yeah. It's, it's so what I do is I'm a big fan of having certain periods of time as we see in a lot of long lived cultures, you know, the, the Orthodox church and the Mediterranean diet. And we see this all the time, certain periods of time where you're abstaining from large amounts of meat, where you're abstaining from large amounts of protein, because protein activates something called the mTOR pathway, which can accelerate aging. So it can be not only a longevity, but also a detoxification strategy to have certain periods of the year where you go without meat and you do more plants. You might even do more green juices. I'm not a big fan of, as we were talking about before we started recording, like fruit juices because they mainline fructose into the bloodstream. But you know, juices like you know kale juices and celery and turmeric and carrot and things along those lines. So having certain times of the year when you don't eat meat is good, but as in terms of a long-term sustainable diet, 
that doesn't build up deficiencies in the body, unless you're really going out of your way to prepare food the proper way, veganism is not a great solution for long-term health and longevity. Instead, a plant-rich diet with low to moderate amounts of fish and eggs and meat, all from organic, sustainable sources, is a much, much better way to go because it allows you to get your nutrients far more easily.